fixing your old phone is always better than buying a new phone and once we know the problem there is a solution just a matter of time anything can be fixed if you really put effort on it welcome to restart radio i'm dave pickering and i make a monthly podcast for the restart project The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. At the end of March, we're supporting London Repair Week, which celebrates repair in all shapes and forms. This year, we're particularly celebrating repair businesses, so we thought that this would be a great excuse to talk to some professional repairers. So for this month's episode of the Restart Project podcast, we talk to Janaid Sayed from Saris Fix and Zenis Stellianu from Zen's Electronics Workshop, two trusted repairers who you can find in Restart's repair directory, londonrepairs.org. We're going to cut between two separate conversations I had with them, recorded over the internet in their separate repair shops. There are over 300 businesses currently listed in the directory. And this is a chance for you to get to know two of them a little better. My name is Junaid Saeed. I'm a technician at Saras Fix. I've been a phone technician for, I would say, a decade. I'm working for myself for over eight years now. In our shop, we fix mobile phones, cameras, laptops, desktops, basically all the electronic items. Anything we could get hold of the parts, basically. Our company is called Saras Fix and we are located in uh, central London at uh, Shaftesbury Avenue. I've uh, been with Restarters for over five years. Whenever I get a chance, I'll go to these restart parties and try to fix the phones or whatever in the repair cafe. So you like fixing so much, you don't just do it for a job. You go and do extra fixing at restart parties as well. Even Sunday, uh, if something breaks in my house, like I've been fixing washing machine, but yeah, even on Sundays, you know, I have no day off on repairing. <laughs> I would say I've been repairing professionally for about over eight years. I've been fixing every day. 24-7, if there's something needs fixing, you'll be fixing it. Your repair shop is a family thing as well. It's you and your brothers. I guess repair is part of your family as well as part of what you do, you know? Yes. Me and my brother, we've been in this business, like I said, for over eight years and we have our own field. We both can fix mostly everything, but uh, he likes to fix computers like MacBooks and desktops and all those stuff. I like to repair phones and cameras, digital cameras and those stuff. So it is a family run business and uh, me and my brother, we've been looking after the business for for a long time. And working with siblings, it's it's not always fun, but uh, most of the time it, it works. Yeah. No, I can I can relate to that. I have quite a lot of siblings. So how did you get interested in repair and where did you gain your skills and your expertise? I've always been interested in uh, repairing stuff like since since I was kid, like anything which breaks in my house growing up like a blender or a remote car we always had a, a screwdriver at home and uh, anything breaks I, li- I like to open and see what can be done is it fixable or not while growing up sometimes i fix stuff but most of the time it just breaks even more because you know you don't know what's going on i was curious to know how things work like especially remote control cars repairing was one of my interests for a long time but when i moved to london from india i was studying and uh, i wanted to do some part-time job while i was studying 
and I found this repair shop locally where I live. And once I finished my studies, I had more interest in what I was doing already. So I opened my own business. I spoke to my mom. I said, can I get some capital to open a business? And yeah, she helped me out. My mom's support and my brother's support. We, I managed to open a business. And here we are after, after about 10 years. Guess, yeah. So you were like studying business, but you were more interested in repair. And then you put those two things together and made a repair business. I mean, that's kind of perfect. Why are you more interested in mobile phones and, and that side of thing, whereas your brother does uh, computers? Is there some affinity you have with the particular kinds of things you tend to fix? in the shop yeah we do have our own interest electronics are a huge field there's so many stuff and every electronics they do have like a battery and main board but they all work differently my brother he's older than me he always had interest in fixing computers since we were younger because my, my mom uh, back home she's got a school and anything breaks at my mom's school uh, computers he used to go there and install a new microsoft operating system he used to do a lot of stuff on the computer lab in india so me i have a uh, interest in other stuff like computers because he was taking care of it he would never let me do anything because since growing up it was computers it's him i'm not allowed to do anything but when we started our own business because he had more knowledge of that so he he naturally he went there and uh i got the rest so i would say it is our interest even before we started our business and have you found any innovative ways to build a client base and make your business stand out in terms of the repairs that you do yes i don't know many businesses who last uh, as long the thing is, because we care about electronics, we love what we do and we always want to fix stuff because the care we put in fixing stuff, people see that or people like that. In our business, if you see our reviews, we got over 400 reviews and most of them are five star reviews because people uh, love what we do and uh, they like bringing the device. If they have anything broken, not just computer or phone, anything, they'll, they'll call us. Every day we get the inquiries. We advertise us fixing phones and uh, computers, but we don't advertise like cameras. So people ask us, do you do you guys fix, uh, let's say a recorder? I had a strange uh, request as well, like a, a Logitech webcam. The charging port was broken or anything. They just ask us online, do you guys fix it? If we can, we will do it. And uh, we'll say, okay, just bring it to our shop if we can fix it we'll fix it if we can't we'll let you know but most of the time we are able to fix any electronic stuff right and you only get paid i guess if you can fix it that's the offer that you're giving to somebody to keep it fair we always say that there is no fix there is no fees so obviously the, the customer's got nothing to lose if it's fixed they'll pay if it's not fixed they'll have their electronics item back as it was before so for customers it's safe for them and for us because we are confident in what we do and we are confident in our skills so that's a safe bet we can play So my name's Dennis Siliano, and I've been in the electronics repair trade for over 30 years. And I started back with the YTS scheme as it was back then with college used training scheme, which is like an apprenticeship. And just worked my way up through sort of gaining experience from different employers I worked with over time. And then sort of on my own initiative, pushing myself with other engineers that were quite knowledgeable to sort of build our knowledge on, especially on the more modern equipment, because there's no real specific courses for this aspect of electronics. So it's mostly learning on the job now and just sharing knowledge with you know other engineers and what's the name of your repair shop and what sort of things do you fix so it's called zen's electronics workshop and my main 
area of experience and the main sort of equipment I work on, all manner of TV and audio equipment. So even CRT TVs with the large backs that used to be around 20 years ago, they're starting to come back in now because people are starting to use them for retro gaming. So I've had to brush up on my theory of those ones. And in terms of audio, separate CD players, studio equipment, monitor speakers, mixers, so pretty much anything TV and audio related. And then there's some obscure stuff that comes through the door. You know, someone might drop a a circuit board that's out of a treadmill from a gym or something like that. So pretty much whatever comes through the door, I'll take it in and and have a go at it. Right. And you're talking to me from your shop. You work at a very high level of repair compared to many repair businesses. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So a lot of modern boards, they don't tend to have many through-hole components. So these are components where the legs go through the board to the other side maybe on the power supply boards, but most of the other boards, they're all surface-mounted, really tiny components. And I've had to invest both in time and equipment to be able to rework those sort of boards. And not many engineers do now. And I can understand why, because of the time required to go to component-level modern-day boards. You know, there's certain equipment that I just cannot work on because the labor I'd need to charge for that repair would be more than the actual cost of replacing that particular piece of equipment. So I'm starting to have to focus on mid to higher end range of equipment now, which is a shame. Ideally, I'd like to fix everything, but it's just not viable to run a business like that. And so you started sort of repairing through a youth training scheme, you said. Did you have an interest in repair before then, or was that when repair came into your life? We had a subject at secondary school known as technology and control, which was working with little PCB circuit boards and, and basic lighting circuits. And it's the only subject that I really gravitated towards, focused on that. And then when I went to speak to the career advisor at secondary school, they suggested different aspects of electronics and repairing appealed to me more than design and build. That's how I sort of went into college to study radio and television servicing and theory. And it was like a city and guilds 224 course, which doesn't exist anymore. And it's the reason why there's no real avenue into this trade now because there's no specific courses. So I'm 53 and I'm one of the probably younger people in the trade. The average age of the engineer now is probably in their mid to late 60s, I'd say. There are a couple of younger people, but it's rare. It's more the exception, more than the norm. Right. And I guess if that generation of repairers are just about i mean they're they're quite close to retirement i guess by that age there's going to suddenly become a big gulf there'll be no one to do these kind of repairs i guess i'm not sure what the avenue would be now in terms of college courses that even general ones in electronics that would help someone get into this aspect of the trade i wouldn't know how someone leaving school and they have an interest in electronics how they would move towards this specific sector anyway. Maybe it's not that appealing anymore to youngsters because it's quite a a lot you need to invest in terms of time and and build your knowledge. To be honest with you, for what isn't that great uh, pay compared to other trades that are far less skilled in terms of complexity, 
Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. There's been quite a cultural shift, I think, in certainly in the UK, right, around the idea of repair. Like people in their late 60s, as you're saying, those people are kind of at the end of the generation that was all about repair and fixing things. Whereas after that, culturally, that is not the message that we all get. Yeah, I think with this particular sector of electronics, I think it's a top-down thing. In fact, probably just as I was getting sort of into the trade in the mid to late 80s, we were already starting to see the cheaper brands starting to creep through where cost was the primary objective. And over time, manufacturers, even the well-known ones that were highly regarded before, probably with the fear of losing their share of the market, they've actually reduced their build quality to sort of come in line with the cheaper brands. And because now everything's built to a cost, the engineer at the other end repairing the equipment is not taken into consideration anymore. Similar to be honest with you, for anyone that's been in the trade for a lengthy period of time, I'm assuming they have very similar views on on how we could improve and reduce the amount of electronics going to waste, you know, even to recycle. You imagine the amount of elements or materials in a TV to break them down and recycle them, the amount of energy you'd have to use. So real recycling is reusing because it has the least impact on the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that's the funny thing, like when you were doing that course in how to repair, like these kind of issues were as much on the radar, right? Like the waste and the environmental issues. No, I'd I'd even go as far as saying that probably at least 90% of the equipment that was produced when I was starting out was repairable and and was repaired because they sold for a a far higher price. So the customer was more inclined to to go for a repair, even from a financial perspective, if not from an environmental one. Whereas now, I mean, it's just a wild guess, but I'd say probably less than 50% of equipment that are produced are actually repaired, maybe even far less than 50%. Have you got like a favorite repair or like the most meaningful repair or something that you've done over the years? I still get a buzz out of finding a really, really challenging problem. And it's quite uh, an achievement for me when manufacturers won't supply me a certain part. And then I managed to find the part via another route in China. And then I get it and I repair it. <laughs> Buzz that I get from that. Working on vintage equipment as well, because I really appreciate the build. It's a pleasure working on them because I can see the amount of effort that's gone into the not just the build, but the design to make it so accessible for the engineers. It's designed to last, but also to be repaired. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's such a contrast between those vintage sort of uh, equipments and, and, you know, your modern day electronics, really. <laughs> there is one repair which I did, which I'll never forget. During pandemic, because uh, we were considered as essential businesses, so we were allowed to open. We are about five minutes away from the Great Ormond Street Hospital. So this gentleman who's a patient at Gosh, he looked online and he came to the shop. He was limping because he had some problem with the knee. I've never seen that device. So basically it helps him walk. I don't know if it vibrates or something. This device, he needs to charge every day. He was a bit rough with his uh, 
while he's charging and the charging pod it broke he came to the shop he was like can you please please fix it you literally help me walk if you guys fix it that was a very strange device so i did my own research because on internet for example you have guides for iphones laptops and all that but the repair guide's not available for all the electronic devices sometimes you just trust your skills and open and see what's going on inside so i took a risk because i didn't want to disappoint him they don't screw it anymore to, to close it it's all glued now like iphones it's all glued so it was difficult to open but i managed to open it change the charging port i fixed it i gave it to him he was so happy he asked me can you come outside the counter please i need to hug you it was very emotional and he, he left uh, he left a very good review as well yeah that was a very memorable repair because i fixed hundreds of phones and other stuff but that was very memorable right because it was really really important to his health what are some of the barriers to repair that you come up against i guess we've already mentioned one in terms of the gluing rather than the screwing but yeah like what kind of barriers do you come up against uh, on top of my head there are, there are a few barriers um which is obvious first thing is the parts are very difficult to get even the basic parts are like battery or the screen because battery and the screen are the most common replacement what we do so I would say one of the barriers would be getting genuine parts, I'll, I'll say. I mean, we do, we can't get the parts, but getting genuine parts, it's, uh, it's difficult for, for some companies. Apple is it's happening in America. I'm not sure when it will come to UK, where we are allowed to uh, buy the screens from Apple. Samsung's, it already happened. We can buy genuine Samsung screens, but not all the manufacturers. And uh, getting the guides as well, because every device is constructed in its unique way or differently, and not all the guides are available on the internet. So getting the guides, getting the paths, also advertising as a as a technician ourselves, we are not allowed to advertise our business online on Google because uh, we are considered as an individual technician. We are not official technician from the company, let's say from Samsung or Apple. So Google doesn't allow us to advertise our business online. That's one of the barriers where we can't reach to more people because we are not allowed to advertise. That last one's really interesting to me because, I mean, I, I, I hear a lot from people in the repair community uh, about devices being locked in you have to use specific tools or, you know, you have to use specific parts. And that's one way that companies and corporations stop people from being able to repair. But it's really interesting that there's also another way that they're doing it in terms of like saying you have to use our repairers. You can't advertise if you're not our repairers. You know, you wouldn't get this with non-electronic devices. You don't get this with a table, you know. Nobody says you, you can't use a carpenter that isn't officially, you know, B&H or whatever. Yes, yes, definitely. One of the example I, I can give you, the one which you just said that on an iPhone, if you change the battery, exactly same battery you won't be able to see the battery health because it just says that battery is not recognized or battery is not genuine part when you change the screen iphone itself says that it's important message it's like really try to scare people like it's important message iphones recognize this part as not genuine they're really going out of their way to stop all this it's not fair because if you want to do it yourself let's say for example i paid 1200 pounds and purchased a device and i would like to own that device i should have the rights to do anything with this device but even after buying the device this is not completely 100 percent ours we don't completely own it because 
for me, if I own anything, I should be able to modify it. I should be able to do anything what I want to do with the, with my own property. But even after paying so much money, we don't actually own it because if we change the battery, it just comes as the battery is not genuine. Or if you change any part, sometimes the face ID goes like all of a sudden you're not even touching the face ID. If you're changing any other part, the face ID goes. These all of the stuff which they try to control. They want people or customers to go back to them and fix it from them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess you're also getting some of that like fear that people get when they see those messages on the screen or whatever. You're also getting some of that fear towards you as a as a fixer, right? Because people are coming in and they're like nervous of you helping them, not because of any reason to do with you, just because you don't have this I work for Apple or like an, an official stamp on you. I mean, I guess that's one of the barriers that you you face. You're completely right. Yes, we know we have the skills to repair something. So when we repair it, we do exactly how it's done or the phone won't work. If it's not connected properly, the screen won't work. So from our end, we do exactly how needs to be done. People who are in this field, they know that, okay, it's not the technician's fault. It's the parts because they're not getting Apple parts. We'll have to depend on OEM quality or other independent manufacturer to supply the parts and if you use these parts function with the phone doesn't change but you get this message which kind of scares people and uh, they won't have that much confidence in the independent technicians if they go to apple it will be expensive it will be two times three times the cost and sometimes it's like okay you know what let's just buy a new phone and what happens to the old phone it's just e-waste what are some of the barriers to repair that you've come up against in your in your work gaining access so in terms of TVs, access is not really that much of an issue. But in terms of other equipment, like um, amplifiers and, and other equipment that are sealed, they actually glue them together, which means that they are really difficult to access. And even in terms of amplifiers, the older amplifiers that I used to work on that were made in the maybe 80s or 90s, early 90s, you could access them quite easily. You could unscrew the bottom plate and get access to the circuit board, whereas now it's all one piece of metal. And to work on the electronics, you have to strip it all out of the casing, which takes ages. <laughs> so there's that There's that aspect, access. And obviously, the equipment are built far cheaper now and, and to a lower quality, which doesn't give the customer much confidence in repairing them if they've, say, for instance, bought a TV and then it's failed two years later. Whereas you go back to the even the earlier flat TVs that came out, you, you could probably get sort of easily 10 years out of them before they started giving you issues. So that erodes the confidence of the buyer to motivate them to get their equipment repaired. In terms of technical information, there's next to none for a lot of these modern equipments now and even some manufacturers have gone to the lengths of not releasing any information or parts because they want to have the repair side in-house so they can make money on the repairs as well so they in a way they've they've sort of cut the independence out of the loop You attend a lot of restart parties in London. 
what do you get out of sharing your skills with the community? It makes me happy. It's a good feeling to see people because when I attend this uh, restart parties, there are so many uh, people, they have these broken devices and they can't commercially fix it. They can't go to a shop and fix it because it will cost more than the value of the device. So when they when they come to these repair cafes and when it's fixed, they are so happy that oh my god it's fixed it's been it's been sitting at my drawer in my drawers for for years now it's finally working it's a good feeling and uh, also like it's giving a second life to the broken devices which would have ended up in a landfill me attending these repair cafes i see us helping these people bringing the devices back to life yeah i mean i guess it must be like quite an interesting contrast to your day job when you go there like people come and they don't expect it to be fixed necessarily and then you kind of give them a gift yes whereas i guess when people come to the repair shop they have an expectation that it will get fixed and then if you don't achieve that they maybe won't be very pleased with you there's a very different contrast i imagine definitely if you can't fix it they get disappointment if you fix it we did our job so there is nothing <laughs> this repair cab is different environment it's all like-minded people no one's likes throwaway culture everybody who overcomes they have this thing in their mind that they don't want to uh, create more electronic waste they want to reuse what they already got i like having conversation with them and see what what they think of uh, growing electronic waste because being in this business i i know and i see how much waste we are producing well i can take my shop as an example it's like the amount of electronic waste i create myself just by replacing the parts i can only imagine how much it will be for like whole of london or whole of uk so if i am doing my part to save even a bit of electronic waste go end up ending up in landfill it, it's it's good you're also doing a good job with your day job because you're making people's devices last for longer so even though you are in charge of getting rid of waste that is electronic there's no question that changing a battery creates electronic waste or whatever or replacing a screen yeah you're still doing a good thing instead of 100% waste yeah definitely that's my aim try to reduce the electronic as much as possible what we do in our in our shop is when we remove this uh, old broken parts most of them we try to make a display in the shop well, i've got very old uh, sony phone iphone 4 here iphone 3 a Samsung broken phone or very old Nokia phone. It's like a collage or a sculpture almost. I've got this uh, old uh, and dried up tree. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's like, yeah, and uh, broke, broken headphones hanging there and broken chargers. So I try my best not to put all these things in the bin and right. attach it here. So it kind of, it, it makes like art made of electronic waste. Yeah, that's right. And I guess the longer your shop runs, the more your world will be filled with devices. We've been doing this interview from your back office as well. So I imagine the audio may have some sounds of the shop in the background, which won't be a bad thing. I think I, I saw your brother come in and out because you're busy, right? You're doing your, you know, the work is taking place. Yes. Yeah. At the moment, my brother is fixing Alienware. We know that a lot of community repair businesses are struggling. What could help repair businesses to thrive again? I think... Really, it's, it's a top-down thing again. The manufacturers need to have a responsibility for the equipment they're building and ensure that they either supply parts for a lengthy period of time to independents as well and build these things to make them more accessible and so they can be repaired at a, at a lower cost. And it's really the manufacturers that need to make the change of their own 
volition, which I don't think is going to happen, or pressured to make the changes. Right. So it either has to be the companies themselves or more likely perhaps governments and consumer bases forcing their hand and insisting that they want more repairable devices, but also more repairers, more repair businesses, more just general culture of repair. Most definitely. And I think if that happens, I think naturally you you have more people starting to come into the trade. And and obviously if they're, they're the college courses start up again you'd need someone actually working in the trade to give direct experience to the students both of those things i think would would help a lot or maybe if even if manufacturers offered independence in-house training courses like they used to you know when i was starting out all of the main manufacturers were offering these sort of courses that was invaluable I would say availability of parts, these barriers which uh, which big companies like Apple, they, they put on us, or not just on us, on independent technician. Everybody should be able to fix the phone if they want to make the parts easily accessible and make the guides on how to fix for the parts, like at least for the screen and the battery, because screens are made of glass, so it breaks more often. Uh, and the battery, it's, battery doesn't last maybe more than two years. If we have these two guides and every manufacturer, if they put these guides out on the internet and make the part available, that'll be really good. Repair businesses shouldn't be struggling because everybody has so much technology. We're not taught to repair them. Like you said earlier on, somebody will buy a new phone rather than getting it repaired because partly people don't even know that's an option, really. It's not even part of the kind of cultural message for some people. No, it's true. I even hear from people, basically, we are about 10 minutes away from the Covent Garden Apple store, right? So people go in, that's their first option. Obviously, as a manufacturer, they go in there, they go there and they'll be like, okay, my phone is not working for some reason. And what I hear uh, from my customers, the staff at Apple, they try to sell them a new phone instead of the fixing the current one. They will give you a ridiculous <laughs> price to fix it or they'll say, I'm sorry, we can't save your data. So instead of fixing this, we'll give you a new phone. Let's say just pay 300, 400 pounds. We'll exchange you for this phone to a new one. They only come to us if the data is important. And when they come to us, they'll be like, oh, I just been to Apple and they say that it's a hardware issue. Hardware issue can be anything. It could be just screen replacement or a battery replacement it could be a very simple reason if you just replace that particular part the whole phone will start working they'll have the data and also they'll have the phone back so for another three four five years with the phone but they don't promote repair or reuse they just want people to spend more on buying a new phones they deliberately when people come back to them they'll be like okay don't worry about your old phone buy a new one right people are literally told that they can't repair their devices and five minutes round the corner, there's you and your brother waiting to repair their devices. But once you know that there's people like you and your brother out there that can fix devices or recover data, I mean, that's so important to many of us. Like that's more important than anything else on our phone is like the stuff, the memories, the photographs. Exactly. The memories. You can't put a value on the memories. Right. And, and even if you can't, save everyone and bet you can't save every phone that comes into your shop you can save some of them and it's worth trying before giving up no we can save most of them i mean it's very rare we can't fix anything because every problem has uh, has a solution and once we know the problem there is a solution just a matter of time anything can be fixed if you really put effort on it
So they, they people, I mean, especially at Apple, they want quick, quick turnover. They don't want to wait for another two weeks, three weeks fixing the phone. With us, most of the phones we have fixed in the past. Sometimes it takes up to two weeks. Sometimes it can be done same day. And from a saving money point of view, it's cheaper to use you. And if you can't fix it, then they don't have to pay anything. That's a pretty good deal. One thing there that I pick up on is about changing our expectations because it won't just be Apple, it'll also be the people with the phones who want things fixed straight away. I guess we as, as, as consumers need to be okay with the idea of waiting two weeks for a good result, you know, rather than paying more money than we can afford for not even the ideal result. It's not ideal for the environment, but it's also not ideal for our bank accounts. Yes, you'll be surprised. I'm not saying just for my business, but I'm saying like you'll be surprised if you compare the prices from Apple and other independent technicians like us, how it could be like three times less what Apple originally quoted. It doesn't have to be two weeks every time. It could be same day, same hour as well. So I would say, I mean, if, if people want to fix their phone, with some people, the only thing they kind of hold back is like what type of parts independent technician use. So sometimes they'll be like, okay, I don't want a copy part or a cheap part. I want a good part because this is what we do as well. If someone knows what the problem is, if it's an obvious problem, like a screen or battery, we give option to our customers, buy your own parts and bring it to us. So people can do that as well. So technicians like me, we are more than happy to provide our service if a customer brings the part with them. So it will save a lot of our time as well, ordering the parts, waiting for it to be delivered and fixing it. If it's possible, they can get genuine screen. If it's not possible, they can get whatever they can afford. If they bring it to me, I'll be more than happy to fix that for them. So you get more than one option. You don't have to rely on Apple. That's a very good tip. We've got very in-depth, I think, today. I mean, I normally kind of close these out by saying, is there anything that you'd like to say that we haven't covered or you'd like to emphasize? Fixing your old phone is always better than buying a new phone because there is not much difference between, for example, iPhone 12 and iPhone 14. So if you could use your phone for at least five years, it's really good. Most of the time, if you have any problems with your phone, so any device, most of the time, it's it's a very simple solution. If you want, you can change it yourself. In any case, if you struggle doing it, even if you manage to open it and you can't put it back, you can always take your phone, whichever condition it is. You can go to an independent technician. You don't have to worry about opening the phone. If you need any help, there are technicians all over London. <laughs> It was such a joy to talk to Junaid and Zen and to hear their dedication to repair and the clear passion that they have for their work despite the numerous barriers presented. Hopefully by working with local repair economies and carrying on our fight for the real right to repair, these barriers will be dismantled. Once again, you can find both of these businesses and 300 others online at londonrepairs.org. By supporting our local repair business, not only are we supporting our high streets, we're also supporting our immediate community and building a more resilient repair culture for our collective future. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found 
wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at the Restart Project. where we've also set up a fundraiser so if you've enjoyed this episode do make sure that you donate there to help to fund the future of the podcast the music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between opto noise and cassini sound and big thanks to restarts communications producer holly who does the research and the planning for the podcast And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.